Got depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place. Therapy is great, and this ain't the same. But we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey, 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 Sonnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm Katie Dahl, and this is a mental health podcast for cool people. By cool people, I mean like, yeah, we've all got issues. You've got them. I got them. But why can't we find a way to laugh about them, right? Because as soon as you can laugh about something, then it no longer has power over you. That's what I think anyway. Uh, So how am I feeling? (sighs) I have to say it's been a wild ride um, getting this podcast together and seeing the community grow. It's been really nice to connect with other people. I'm starting to feel optimism and hope again, which are not emotions that I thought I'd be able to feel. So it's it's gone pretty well. Um, you know, still in therapy, although I am going uh every two weeks now, it's more of a maintenance thing instead of an immediate trauma thing. So I'll take that as progress. Um today's episode is really fun. I got to interview Connor Moore. He is the host of Connor Wanders, as well as the OK Babe podcast. Uh, and full disclosure, he is also one of the people that runs Soulfire Productions, which is the new um, network that I am on. So very exciting. Uh, we get into talking about politics, as well as like the divisiveness that has been so pervasive in our culture because of social media. And that's something that can really affect your mental health when you're in this echo chamber and you're just surrounded by other people who are saying things that are uh, perpetuating the same ideas in your head. And you're not able to really figure out uh, that the people who are on the other side of the political spectrum are humans as well. So that was really interesting. We also talked about how he is in a monogam-ish relationship and what that means to him. Also, some tips about how to feel more positive during lockdown. Uh, as always, after the episode, uh, please go to cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I put up the episode guides that have more details about uh, anything we talked about in the episode. Uh, you can follow me on social medias at Katie Dahl or at cryingbehindpod to see more about the episodes. All right. Without further ado, enjoy. Today's guest is a friend of mine, a new friend of mine, actually, and he is the host of Connor Wanders and OK Babe podcast. He specializes in applying human behavior science onto politics. Please welcome Connor Moore. What's up, Katie? How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. You know, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a few weeks now. So, yeah, I'm excited. How are you? I'm good. It's been a, it's been an interesting day. I had people. Um, I was literally three minutes from finishing a podcast today. And I was I was getting it out on time. It was going great. And then the people that were digging up a trench in my backyard cut my power. So <gasps> I had to go out, and I was like, "Guys, I need five minutes. Turn the power back on for five minutes." So that was, and then I had to go upload all my videos on uh, coffee shop Wi-Fi. It's been it's been so it's been like a day where I was doing a lot, but only minimal things got done thanks to latency. <laughs> In circumstances. Yeah, sometimes we just got to roll with the punches, right? Yeah, it was fun. Me and my dog just hung out and had, you know, chaga lattes and kicked it out in the cold. Uh, awesome. Wait, what is a chaga latte? It's like one of those mushroom coffee, really expensive, trendy lattes that 
swayed me at the I felt like I had to buy something because I was at the coffee shop. So, <laughs> so it's, it's like this looks cool. I want the, I don't want caffeine, but yeah, this looks fine. This is something to keep me warm. Does it like give you a different effect than regular coffee? Do you notice it? Yeah, mushroom coffee is different. It is a different, it's a different buzz for sure. It's definitely not as intense. I, but I drink copious amounts of nitro cold brew, so it's really hard for me to feel anything anymore. <laughs> You're just numb. <laughs> just numb, numb to caffeine. I've been drinking coffee since I was like, oh, I don't know, like seven or something. Like my grandma would give me, it was mostly like half and half with a little bit of coffee in it or milk with a little bit of coffee in it. So I had, I acquired that taste young, which was um, not per- good i don't think but you know it is what it is yeah when i was a kid actually because my mom's a stock worker so she's like a coffee addict and she would leave her half empty coffee cups all over the house i don't know why but at age like two or three i would go around drinking her black coffee uh i loved it and then they discovered it and they were like no katie you can have coffee ice cream (laughs) because i was a child so i think that was good Yeah, I did, that, I did that with a beer one time and it ended poorly for me. I don't, I didn't think I liked that too much. I think I was about three when I found a beer and I was like, this looks great. Everybody else is drinking it. I'll have one of these. No, yeah, no. <laughs> that didn't work out well for you. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to uh, just check in with you as far as your mental health goes. Like how has um, this very extended lockdown been for you? We're kind of up on like the one year mark of COVID. Um, how has it been for your mental health? Well, I would say the first three months were really, really bad. Not real. I mean, and the people had it way worse than I did, but I did lose, as we were talking about before we started recording, I was a coach Mm -hmm. up until COVID happened. And then my whole kind of trajectory changed because I had to adapt to this new world that we live in. And it was about two months where I was like, all right, I'll just like write it out. It'll be fine. You know, 14 days to flatten the curve, as they said. (laughs) I was like, okay, this will be fine. That's right. That's right. I can't. Like how innocent we all were that we thought it would just be like, oh, a few weeks. Yeah. And then it was, you know, and then (laughs) Kelly and I were kind of forced to be in a like confined space, which we already worked from home. But I was really good about I would spend four or five hours a day at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. like that was normal. So I was really kind of almost working a normal job. I just did it from somewhere else. Um, So we had to be together all the time. So then we had kind of that like immediate, okay, we have to adjust to this. And it was really strenuous for a while. Luckily, we're lucky enough to have uh, two bedrooms. We would just like sleep in different beds and take trips. And then whenever hunting season rolled around and I was out in the woods for like a four or five or six or 10 days at a time, then everything started to balance back out. It was like I had an outlet and then I started the Connor Wanders podcast right at the beginning of COVID um, just as a disgruntled Bernie Sanders supporter uh, (laughs) that was just frustrated with everyone. And that gave me another outlet. So it was like, I got things were taken away, but I felt like in that vacuum of things that were taken away, I found things that were actually, I feel now more potent and more, more productive as far as what we're the kind of conversations we're having, because there's so much polarization and divisiveness and hypocrisy everywhere. It almost felt like me having conversations with people around loving themselves or or self-expression were at the time before pre-COVID were really valuable. But then I felt like I had a perspective to share on things that were more culturally uh, relevant. Yeah, like politics. Yeah, politics, social issues, like what we're what we're all going through right now, which is a really, really interesting time. And being somebody who came from a like very conservative Bible Belt, Texas town, where I like listened to Rush Limbaugh before I could drive, you know, like that kind of <laughs> stuff. And into, you know, being then going kind of like super liberal for a little while in Austin and then kind of finding my middle ground that I had 
perspective that I could share from living in cities versus living in rural America and, and what that's like, and what the blue collar life is like versus, you know, I've, I work yeah. 14 hours a day sometimes as a high school kid, like swinging a hammer all day, you know, like most people didn't do that, but I have a perspective on what those type of people think and what people in Austin and LA and Denver think. So it was really a fun place for me to kind of meet the middle and, and share perspective. And that, that became something I was way more passionate about than what my previous podcast was. Uh, so it's kind of a fun evolution, but that took a uh, three months of just grueling, um, almost like existential crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got to kind of grieve the previous self, let it go and then figure out what, what's the new thing that you're going to bring in. But I would agree with you. Like I do feel more productive during this time because there's no pressure to go out or really do anything. So you can just focus on your own stuff. Yes. And you know, I was going to say, it is really interesting, um, how politically like you're not really a part of either of the major parties right yes right and you're just kind of doing your own thing do you feel um left out at all i did for a while but that's kind of that was always kind of the intention it was i even get caught up i'll accidentally on my show call myself a democrat i'll say like (laughs) us when i talk about the democrats and i'm like wait no no that's not Um, But I, I, it was very quick that I was, I realized, I mean, one of the first things I did that kind of went viral even before I got shadow banned on TikTok uh, was just ripping on Joe Biden during the primaries, which Mm -hmm. I didn't think he was going to win. No one thought he was going to win the primaries. He was doing a terror. Like, it's funny to look back now. It seems like that was 10 lifetimes ago, but we were looking at that and it was like, okay, we're finally going to get Bernie Sanders got shafted in 2016. Mm -hmm. He's got the lead. You know, Elizabeth Warren's going to drop out. His, her support's going to be split. And then it's over. Like we have now we have a Trump versus Bernie, which is kind of like really two representations of America that I felt were very potent. Um, and for me, I, I, being aggressively independent was something I really valued. Right. And it took me a while. But in doing that and then kind of staying in that, because it's really easy to grow an audience as a conservative or a liberal. Right. Because there's a built in thing. Yes. And the independence by nature, it's like, oh, we don't want to be put in a box. We don't want to congregate. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we don't exactly. have anybody we can rah, rah, rah behind uh, our whole like the definition of being an independent is just being like, well, I'm not like them. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> much. It's a challenging way to grow. It, it really is. But then what didn't take long till there was other people started coming out of the woodwork and, and we started creating this little network. And that's where this phrase politically homeless came from. So it was, I started using that pretty liberally and then that just kind of became the thing. And that's what the Patreon community has become. And, and one of my favorite things that people tell me, and I think that this is really says a lot about where most people are is that people will follow me and be like, Hey, I don't agree with a lot of what you say, but I do appreciate your perspective. And I'm like, I, I, I prefer that compliment to everything you say is right or everything you say is wrong. Right. Yeah. Because that's, it, 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 people are accepting of nuance now more than they were, you know, I would say even a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Because things have gotten so polarized and people are, it's, it drains people, man. It really does. It's, it's really hard to see like the impact that media and social media has, has had on people's mental health. It's been really frustrating to watch as someone who cares about it as much as I do. Yeah, no, it bothers me as well, because I think um, when you watch like that documentary, The Social Dilemma, which a lot of it was things that I already knew, like we all know that these platforms that are free. The only time that it's free is when they are selling you as their product and selling ads to you. Like I know that, but I think the thing that it brought to my attention, which I hadn't really thought of is how, um, because they're putting each person into their own echo chamber that, uh, reflects exactly what their opinion is and just compounds it. Then from like 
a mental health perspective, you're basically in tunnel vision and you become more polarized politically. And I didn't realize the connection there. And then I once they spelled it out, I totally saw it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like they're showing me things that are going to piss me off and make me more liberal. They're showing my parents things that are going to piss them off and make them more conservative. Right. And yes. like, it's not helping anybody. No, because there's a lot more crossover than we like to pretend, right? And yeah. it's it's a lot easier intellectually to paint all Trump supporters as bigoted racist. And when I look at my mom, I'm like, well, I don't, I understand why you voted for Trump, but I don't think that you're a racist. Right. <laughs> it's just, there's, I mean, you're just a conservative, and that was your conservative option, even mm-hmm. though you think the guy's a douchebag. Like it wasn't, there wasn't, there was, you know what I mean? So it was really, there's a level of empathy that we lose out on, and I think. You know, even when I was coaching before I did this, one of the biggest things we focused on was confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think it's, it's a nice point in someone's uh, psychology to, to, to focus on because it's essential and dangerous, right? So it's, it's an essential part of life. Like you need to, it, it, it allows your, your mind, your neurology to function in a way that is productive, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together, right? So you create these patterns to where things become, uh, you see what you want to see, what you're used to seeing. and that's fine, but when you add social media on top of that and you create a siloing effect and it it extrapolates confirmation bias to the, you know, a hundred a hundred percent on top of what it already was, and now that's creating your worldview, that becomes really, really dangerous. And it's hard to break people out of that because now we've got the ability to call somebody some kind of dirty name, right? Whether it's a racist or a communist, right? Or both of them are trying to destroy the country. <laughs> and now we see we see each other as like evils versus people that have differing opinions. And that's where I think that, and that's, it puts us in a really tricky spot as we're in a re- we are at a really interesting time right now. We are. Yeah. I mean, cause like, how can we come back to a place where we can see the humanity in each other, even if we disagree? Yeah. And it takes a lot. It's a, it's a serious self-practice and it takes a lot of personal responsibility. And there's so many factors at play in that, right? I mean, you're a millennial. I'm a millennial. I think you're a millennial. How old are you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Listen, I'm 34. <laughs> oh, you're 34 too. Wow. We both look younger than 34. That's great. <laughs> Wait, are we the same age? Yeah. Oh, how funny. Uh, 86, baby. Yeah. I was 87, January of 87. So I was a little. Okay. Wow. How am I older than you? That's so funny. Just barely, just barely. But yeah, I think uh, to, to your point, it's just kind of like trying to see the humanity in other people when they d- disagree with you. I think that like you have to remember that we all essentially like we want the same things at the end of the day. It's just like, how are we going to get there? Just to take it away from politics and back into some more personal stuff, if Let's you don't do mind. <laughs> uh, so something that I am very curious about because I've never even tried it. The only person in my life who did try it totally failed is this poly idea, the poly relationship. Okay. (laughs) Like I said, one of my, one of my best friends, she, uh, you know, she was in a very long-term relationship. As soon as they opened it up, it ended. Right. And so it's really interesting to see an example like you and Kelly, like you're making it work. And I guess my first question is how did that start? Who brought it up? (laughs) <laughs> and how is it continuing and how are you making it work? <laughs> well, I think, so the poly umbrella is a very big umbrella. Sure. There's a lot of things nested underneath, right? So I have to go back a little for, a little bit before Kelly to see where this whole thing came from. Sure. Cause maybe it's, I'm sure it's not like your first time you've thought of it, 
Uh, and I didn't want to put like a label. That's kind of why I said poly, because I know that's a big umbrella. So whatever yeah. you feel comfortable calling it, then please, you know, educate all of us. <laughs> yeah, we use the term uh, monogamish is okay. a good one because it's like 98% monogamy in our situation. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it would be weird to be like, yeah, we're in an open relationship when it's like, that's not often at all that that's okay. the case. Um, so I would, I actually started challenging the ideas of uh, monogamy when I realized that I'd been in, in like four, I think I have four really serious relationships or, or relationships that had potential as an adult. Right. So after, after college and all the girls were great, really appreciated all of them for lots of different reasons. And, and I realized that the, the relationship pattern I was going down was the same regardless of the person. And they were all very different people. And with the people that I worked with in dating coaching and things like that, like sometimes you would see that happen because they were dating the same person with a different name, right? Pretty much. <laughs> but for me, I was, it was a very diverse set of people as far as backgrounds and what they did and what they cared about. But the patterns of the relationship were very similar. And I was like, okay, well, I'm the common denominator here, right? This isn't somebody else's thing. So let me start to understand this and some create, I, I kind of felt broken uh, in a way because I kept, I kept feeling I was fucking it up. What was the pattern like that you kept repeating? About a year and a half in, I would just want, I would self I would just sabotage it in some, some way. Right. And usually, okay. um, and I would just really want something outside of the relationship. Yeah. So that was a lot of it was like wanting other women or what, you know, whatever it was and communicating that horribly. Right? <laughs> Which is a lot of the, as a 25 year old, they're not you know, 25 year old men aren't the best at communicating generally speaking. Sure. Um, so I started getting into Chris Ryan's uh, books, his uh, Sex at Dawn. I read like The Ethical Slut. Just went down the rabbit hole of like all these different types of books and, and resources for challenging traditional relationship structures. Esther Perel was a great one. Um, Mating in Captivity is her book that I really loved. Did a lot for me because that approached it with a much more broad, like a broad strokes. Like there's lots of different, it basically like allowed me to accept myself for wanting something different than traditional monogamy. Yeah. And I didn't feel as broken, which gave me a different perspective. And I was able to kind of start to communicate that better with partners. And that was really helpful. And that was about four or five years. Then I was in a relationship um, with this with this woman and we both worked at the same place, this company called On It, which had a very aggressive um, open relationship culture. <laughs> Wait, what? Hold on. So you guys are both working at this company and everybody's just like sleeping with everyone at the company, regardless of their relationship status. A little bit of that, a little <laughs> bit of just like the CEO was kind of this like guru type mm. dude who like had several girlfriends and a lot of money and did the thing and then like articulated it in a very charismatic way and kind of gaslit his way through the whole thing. Also kind of a sociopath, you know, like that type of vibe. And okay. everybody out there knows the company knows exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to like name names. Sure. Um, so I worked there and it was really interesting to see um, this open relationship that I'd kind of idolized from the outside. And then I started working at that company because this is one of those people that I had, I had kind of been drawn to through that whole situation. So I saw the, I, in that experience, in that two years, I saw the dark side of all of this and how things go wrong. What, so if someone out there is trying it out, like where is it that they would fail? What is, what is the cautionary <laughs> tale here? <laughs> uh, too fast, too soon, oh, okay. generally speaking. Or, and I think this may be the case with your friend if I'm going to project, if they were in a long-term relationship and then tried to open it up, is that it was pr a lot of times when that's the case, and I don't want to speak for her as sure. I said, but, but um, it's usually trying, you're trying to save a relationship that's, that's headed south anyways. Mm -hmm. And it's like a last ditch effort. 
And a lot of times that's just, it just, it just gets you to where you were going to go faster. Um, if that makes any sense. It does. So, but with this though, is it was, there was one of the things that I noticed within, within this specific situation where it's kind of this, you know, very well-known successful like person, uh, the power dynamic was really heavy. So it was very imbalanced as far as like where the money was, where the power was, where the influence was coming from. So I thought I noticed that people kind of did what that person wanted, but it seemed like it was out of self-preservation versus like self-expression. Mm. And it, it, whenever the tables were turned, everything got really uncomfortable and things were just like it was just this constant cycle of like everything would explode and blow up and there'd be these, you know, huge dumpster fire in the relationship. And then there'd be this bold proclamation of love and then everything would be fine for like a month or two. And the same cycle would happen over again. And it seemed, I was like watch observing this relationship kind of devolve in that way. So after I left that company and left the relationship I was in, I was like, I'm single, I'm done. I'm single for a while. I'm just like doing this thing. I need to, I need to go out and date a diverse set of people yeah. from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life and just see what fits. And I was traveling a lot. So I didn't really have the groundedness or the stability to be in a relationship. So it was really easy for me to go just date a lot, do my thing. Um, kind of grow myself, grow my business, like focus on what I felt was important and quit trying to like date the person that I felt like I should date. And then um, through that process, Kelly and I kind of stumbled upon each other about two years after I'd left, um, left that career. Yeah. And we actually, her team reached out to me for, to be on, for her to be on my podcast. So we what, started, a, what a, what a meet cute. <laughs> it was very cute. Um, it was a very bad pitch email that I use 99% of the time would not respond to, but I did respond to this one, um, and offered a <laughs> podcast swap into this things. And anyway, she, she had found me because she was about to go do ayahuasca. Okay. So she had found my podcast looking on, looking for podcasts around ayahuasca. And, um, so she went and had her ceremony. We started just kind of DMing and stuff about that experience. And she had a really challenging integration after that experience. So I yeah. was somebody who had been around not only my own integration, but a bunch of other people's as well. So I was able to talk her through it and let her know that what she was going through wasn't like permanent and she was going to be fine. And it's normal. This happened. You know, we just had started kind of this really um, vulnerable conversation from the jump. Yeah. I mean, sidebar, I was going to ask you about um, psychedelics because I know that's something you're really into. So maybe we'll put a pin in that because yeah. I would love to ask you more about, um, you know, people using ayahuasca to either like explore their, you know, their, their inner selves or heal from things. But um, back on the topic, you were saying yeah. you and Kelly met, you hit it off. And then yeah, we hit it off. And b before we had started like, even thinking about dating, she was like, I'm done with men. I'm only dating women now. And she'd never <laughs> been with a woman, but she was saying that. And something about the way she was saying it, like pinged me where I was like, I think she means this more than she thinks she means this. So when we got into our, we started dating and uh, it just started coming up in conversation. And I was like, listen, I really, I was pretty committed um, to finding someone, a woman who was into women because it had been, that had been a point of contention. And I was, I, I had realized in this time I was single that I could, there was a, lo a lot of women that were into women. Like sure. it wasn't an uncommon thing. And that if we could share that and like create a, a conversation and a dialogue around that, um, even just if it's just for fun or just for fantasy, it would be great. Um, but inviting someone else in also would be really fun too. It just depends on how things progress and what feels right. So we started discussing that and talking about it. And of course there were a few like blow ups and there's insecurities on both ends of the whole thing. Yeah. There's gotta be some jealousy involved, right? Like even if you're someone who's super progressive. Like there is that human instinct to want to just be like, no, you're mine. Right. 
yeah, I don't want to share you. Exactly. Like that. And that's a common narrative, even though that doesn't really feel that way in the moment. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, <laughs> essentially, we were, we've been going, we've been talking about this for a while. And it was a lot of talk and then a lot of fantasy around it. So when we were having sex, we would, we would talk about another, we would just make up like an avatar of just to just make someone up. Right? And I would usually use, since she was the one that was the most uncomfortable with it, we would use her um, fantasy. So whatever woman she would popped into her head, whatever was going on with her, and she got to lead that. And that was a good place for us. And I recommend this to anybody who's looking to try this. Um, it's a good place to start to kind of work the kinks out before you get into, into a real life situation with another human being. Yeah, that is brilliant. I never would have thought of that. I mean, I guess I haven't really looked into any of these lifestyles because it hasn't really <laughs> been something that interests me in my own personal life. But like, yeah, I mean, with anything in my life, I know I like to visualize it first before I do it. So why wouldn't you try that with your sex life? Exactly. Because you think that's one thing, too, I think is really unfair for the other person. The third is that they get objectified mm-hmm. in a way that is that they're not really signing up for. And that's when conversation Kelly and I had to have. She's like, I don't really want somebody like I don't want to cuddle with them. I don't want them spending the night and I like, want them to leave right after. And I'm like, <laughs> if you came over to a guy's house and you like, fucked you and then asked you to leave, like that would feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, that's not like a nice thing it's, to do. Like, it's a little transactional. Not, yeah, let's let's not do it until we can get past that part, right? Like let's and then so it started with one of her close friends and I could tell that she was attracted to Kelly, but Kelly that wasn't on her radar and I was like, "Listen, we were at an Odessa show and they were like kind of handsy and I was like, "Okay, like this is I'm noticing this and <laughs> I need, I'm going to say something about it." So we ended up right before we left LA, we had our first like threesome experience with her, which was very tame and really really beautiful in its own way. And felt really fulfilling all, all, all the way around. And Kelly, that kind of unlocked something within Kelly. And then it kind of it, it became something she reflected on a lot and it processed a lot. And like suddenly those girls that she made out with when she was drunk in college weren't necessarily just drunken flukes that guys wanted, right? It was sure. like, oh, I was, I was exploring something there. And so really she's taking the lead with most of this stuff, right? It was, an, it was a seed I planted for sure. But I was kind of hands off and like, let's, let, I'm going to let you pace this thing out and we'll find girls together. We end up getting a Bumble account and all that kind of fun stuff. So you guys use like a joint Bumble account? Well, right now we have, um, both of them are on hold because we're kind of seeing someone, I guess. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, but she recently, we each have our own joint. So like I have one, a joint one that's both of us and she has a joint one that's both of us. Okay. We can both use it. I have more fun uh, meeting girls and like talking to them and, and presenting the idea than she does. Hmm. She has more fun like meeting them in real life and being a, like it's so we have to we kind of split up the split up the duties as yeah. far as finding women. I was surprised to hear you say that the first experience was not awkward because I would think, you know, like the, just crossing the threshold of doing that for the first time. There might be those moments where you're like, oh, I don't know. So that's nice that it wasn't that way. Well, it was really interesting. And what, you know, Kelly's whole brand and whole kind of mission is working with women in like a more fully embodied self-expression. And that's one of the things I, I love about her. And that's one of the reasons that I kind of backed off of personal development because she leads in that area in our relationship. Mm. Um, and I was able to really more lead in some other areas of our relationship. So it's kind of one of those things that it felt like I, I trust her and what she does there. And just the, the person that we were with the first time um, was pretty sexually repressed. Uh, couldn't ask for what she wanted for in a relationship, had had like very unfulfilling sexual relationships, but is a very sweet person, very, a beautiful, a beautiful girl. Like she just, she's great. She's all fucking awesome. 
So what was funny is that we, we hooked up a couple of times and it was like really close friends. There wasn't that like, we don't know this person type of thing. Sure. There was already a lot of like intimacy, even if it wasn't sexual, just between the two of them because they were so close and trusted each other so much. And the fun thing was after that, like that, that didn't last long. It was just a couple of times. She's now in like this amazing relationship and she's talked to like reflected about how those experiences with us, because there was such a non-judgmental kind of container around it, um, helped her ask for what she wanted in her relationship, mm. which, uh, which is really, which is just a great, it's like a great story, right? It brings it full circle and it's like, oh, she can like ask for this and she knows she likes this and she can kind of challenge this thing where she was kind of living in a box before and really just doing what the guy wanted to do whether or not it was fulfilling to her yeah, and versus being more assertive. It's like the opposite of objectifying someone is empowering them. 1000%. And that's really something that we, I, and when I was a coach, I coached mostly women as well. So it's like, I really have, I love seeing someone. And this was a big problem that I had in my life. Of course, it's a pain point that I now project around me and notice more around me was not being able to speak up for myself and my needs and my wants, especially in an awkward place like the bedroom. But when you have a third in that situation and you have two people that you've kind of created a dialogue with where it's so clear because you're already outside the like traditional paradigm, it's like your gateway drug, right? So it's like a, a super common fantasy a lot of people have to be with two people and ha like that threesome fantasy is, especially among women, one of the most common fantasies mm -hmm. when you do like blind, um, blind studies. So um, when we look at that and think about, okay, you're already outside the norm. So you've already like crossed the threshold. People are more willing to ask for what they want, ask for what they need, be more open to like the, the trying to think of a way to say this. There's not as much fear around being judged when you're in that scenario. Yeah. Because you're all already doing something that's taboo. Yes. So yeah, it's kind of like, okay, we've, we've broken the seal on that. Now anything goes. Yeah, pretty much. And it's, it's really, and we've also, we, we have really strong boundaries depending on who we're with sure. and different things like that. It's not like we're doing this every weekend. Um, <laughs> no, I, but, I didn't get that when you, you know, when you said it was like a 98% uh, monogamous or monogamish, it, I didn't get the feeling that this was an every weekend thing. I just know that like um, you guys are really public about it, which I think is cool because it normalizes um, this kind of lifestyle for other people. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to talk about too, with, with, with the show and different things that we talk about is because what we do isn't so crazy. It's not a polypod or we're not going to Bernie man and sleeping with six different people each. And then like having a powwow about it later on. And it's also not super spiritual and woo woo and manipulative and manipulative in that way. It's just this, it's a fun thing that we both find a lot of value in and everybody we've been, been with has also had a very empowering experience versus being feeling used or feeling awkward or any of those kind of things. And a lot of times Kelly will get with um, somebody that we're, we're, we're kind of seeing or whatever uh, by, by herself, mm -hmm. which is really cool for her. And we actually had, it was a friend of mine um, that we had, you know, put, put the feelers out and she was <laughs> interested. And it was so funny. I, I ended up uh, getting kicked out of a threesome in my own house, which was really fun. <laughs> it wasn't like I was kicked out. It was just like, it was a lot for her. And we were, she and I were really good friends. So it was like, it was a lot. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk out of here. I'm just going to go downstairs and watch Rick and Morty or whatever. Yeah. You're like, I'm just going to tap out. We're good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll come back later. You guys do your thing, which doesn't, doesn't threaten me at all. But I think a lot of guys do have an issue with that. It's like, oh, what did they, you know, turn into a lesbian or something like they, all these like really outlandish kind of ideas that are very rare. Mm. Um, but I don't have any issues with that. I actually find it, I, I really like it a lot, honestly. 
Um, so I was just downstairs, like this is like kind of laughing at the whole situation. And after it was all, we had, we had all kind of finished up. Uh, Kelly came down. She's like, I didn't realize how much I needed that. Like I'm a very masculine dude. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a dude bro kind of in a way. Um, but, and that's great that, that we have a good polarization there, but sometimes Kelly really wants that connection with the woman. She wants to be like fully in the feminine and it, her and the women that she's with get a lot out of that. And I find that really amazing because it also takes the pressure off of me to be something that I'm not mm-hmm. right. I don't have to go in there and be necessarily like soft and lovey and feelsy because that doesn't really feel I can do that sometimes, but it's rare. Yeah, it's not as natural for you. That's not like your default go-to. And it's really interesting because I have thought about this um, a lot, especially during COVID, because I can't hang out with my friends and do all the other things that I used to do. And it puts a lot of pressure on the relationship for that person to be everything for you, right? Not just in the bedroom, but like, oh, okay, so you need to be the person that I can wake up next to, also the person that I'm going to go do fun things with. and uh, the person I'm going to process everything that's happening in our country and we've got to be able to cook dinner. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's everything. It's like intellectual, sexual, social, all of it. Whereas I think that like in normal times I would be outsourcing some of that to my friends, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's become a really hard time. I mean, divorce rates, breakups, they're like through the roof, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot for people to deal with. And if you don't have that communication patterning down, it can be really, really hard to be like, Hey, I just need to like go be by myself for a little while or something. Just go for a walk alone. Yeah. Um, it's super important, but yeah, it's been, it's been nice because it's also given us something to do that's fun and challenges us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time. And it, it, it does help us make friends and, and meet new people, which is really fun. It's also fun that like when we meet someone like the, in this situation, but then we also just stay friends afterwards. <laughs> like it's like, it doesn't really fit anymore, but now we're just, now we're just kind of homies. That's like, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun situation, but it has given us, yeah, a lot of, a lot of outlets as far as that goes. I know we are coming up on the one year mark of this pandemic and things seem heavy, you know, it's like, will this ever end? Will I be able to get my mental health back on track? And one of the biggest tools that has really helped me to get myself on track and keep things on track during this time is therapy. And my favorite place to tell people to go is BetterHelp. So I'm really happy to say that we are partnered with, sponsored by BetterHelp. uh, And I have a deal for you. If you want to check out BetterHelp, if you go to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, then you can get 10% off your first month of online counseling. Now, why do you want to go to BetterHelp? I will tell you. They have licensed, real, actual therapists that are trained. Uh, It's not just some random self-help guru that you don't know what their education level is. And also you take a quiz so they can actually match you with a therapist who is best suited for your needs. So you can find someone who specializes in whatever it is that you're going through, whether it's anxiety, OCD, depression, trauma, anything. You can find someone who will help you with whatever it is that you are going through. So definitely check it out. Betterhelp.com slash crying behind pod. I feel like I'm, I'm too jealous. I wouldn't be able to handle it. That's just me, you know, (laughs) but it just depends. It it just depends on like how you, cause I hear that a lot. Yeah. Right. The jealousy thing. And it's, I think it's because there's this notion that you're kind of sharing your partner. It 1000% never felt like that. Interesting. It was, we actually, uh, 
with this, with the girl we're seeing now, which is we have this, it's a very different thing that kind of surprised us both as far as like how comfortable it feels. But it, we were talking kind of the other night and we had done a situation, we had a situation where um, people were tied up and things were, you know, things were happening. And there was like, um, we have these candles that uh, are turned into like a massage oil when you burn them. So there was a little bit of that going on. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Okay. And it was one of those things where I realized uh, for like the first time in my life that it didn't feel awkward. It felt very natural. It felt very real. And to explain it, like even explaining it to you, I mean, I'm sure the listeners are thinking like, well, wow, that's some pretty wild shit, you know? I mean, it's, it sounds fun. I don't know. Like I, I, um, yeah, I've been tied up the, the massage oil candle thing. Haven't gotten there, you know, but that sounds fun. I have used oil in general. Uh, it, it is like, what I'm hearing from you also is that it's a good way to kind of spice things up and keep it exciting. Because I think yeah. in a long-term relationship, it is difficult to keep that um, desire going. Yeah, exactly. It, it very much is. But in that situation, the, one of the big takeaways was that it just didn't feel as weird as it sounded. <laughs> like it felt very natural and, and normal. And we're like, oh, that mean, to me, that means, oh, this is, whether it's a kink or whatever you want to call it, like, this is, means that it, this is like a valid kink. This isn't something I'm having to try to do or these people are having to try to do. It's just something that we find a lot of fun in and it it just felt super supernatural and really really fun um but yeah that's the funny thing too about it when when you think about adding this in there is like our sex life together without anyone else got a lot better mm. right so like that sexual energy kind of like spilled over into our kind of alone relationship which again is 98% of the time so it's pretty important um and that gave us more openness to like different fantasies different experiences different things to talk about and it was really eye-opening to both of us to see how that would happen because I had never been in a relationship like this before. Yeah. So this was a, it was, and it was good that it was a lot of learning for both of us. And we also gave ourselves a little bit more um, kind of grace and patience with the pro the progress of things because it was that we weren't in a hurry to get anywhere. We didn't know where this was going and we kind of had this agreed understanding. And this is something that I was pretty adamant about when we first got together is that our relationship is going to change and evolve as we change and evolve and to be in denial of that is to set yourself up for failure. Mm. Right. And that doesn't mean you need to like always be changing and always be evolving, but things are going to consistently change because we're, that we're evolving individuals. Well, And the world is changing around you. Um, yes. that's very normal. I mean, I think that it's very accurate to say that most of the time when a relationship ends, if it's a long-term one, it's because the partners have changed. And they, their lives no longer go together. And for me, like, I am always, like, I'm very into personal development. I'm always growing and changing. And so if someone can't keep up with me, bye. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to just, like, conform myself to whatever idea you had of me when we met. Yes, exactly. And expecting it to be the same way as it was when you met is pretty naive, really. You it know, is, it's yes. like never going to be that way. And sometimes, like, and I think I've, you know, working with a lot of women um, in my coaching practice when I was doing that. Uh, we'd hear a lot of that, like somebody couldn't keep up. Right. And I think a lot of times that's a communication thing because there is this idea that someone needs to keep up with you and your like personal growth. But I think sometimes there's a place where it's like, you're, if that's your, if you're like the wild one, if you're the star seed and you're like out there consuming all these things, sometimes it's nice to have somebody who's not into that, that grounds you out. Oh, for sure. No, I guess what I meant more so is like, for example, um, I like went from like in a previous relationship, like a few relationships ago, <laughs> uh, when I first met him, I was waiting tables on auditioning. And then like a few years into it, I, um, quit waiting tables and I was like, no, I'm a full-time 
freelance filmmaker and actress. This is all I'm doing. And suddenly got really successful. And it he was jealous. He couldn't support me, mm. you know. And so it, that it's like, yeah, he he was comfortable when I was not doing as well in my career. And then he was threatened when I changed, you know, and it's like in that sense, I do think there is like a I don't know, maybe it's not the right term keeping up, but just being supportive. You know, yeah, yeah, and that there's a, there's an insecurity there too. Men have a hard time with that, right? Yeah, I can admit, I can admit that as a man, and, and as a and as a man in a relationship where you know financially Kelly's the Kelly Kelly's the breadwinner uh-huh. in this relationship too. So that's there's something to get over that as well. Like it, it is that is, and I, I I recognize that in men. Like when a girl outpaces you, when someone you're with outpaces you in professional growth. That's that's a hard that's a hard place to be in for sure, and I, that ruins a lot of relationships. But that's one of the things that's changed a lot about our society is like women are so much more assertive and and um and, and successful in the, in our. I think it's one of the best things that's come out of the last twenty or thirty years, like is the way that women represent themselves in the workplace. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, but men on the other end have a, a, especially more traditional men have a hard time wrap their mind around that which is to me kind of odd yeah well i mean they're just trying to figure out okay well if i'm not the breadwinner you know and the person who's in charge of everything then who am i exactly it's an identity crisis <laughs> so i i could see how that would be a problem because for women it's like okay we're used to not being in charge now we're getting these powers so we're getting used to that but that's more exciting uh i yeah. think it would be less exciting to feel my power being taken away yeah Exactly. And it is, it is a very exciting time for women. And I think it's great that women are able to do it now being women, not trying to be men, right? Like the, sh- the shoulder pad era is gone. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Where it was like women to compete in a man's world had to do a whole different thing. Yes. My mom was one of those women. She was out in the eighties with her shoulder pad, pantsuits, not even pantsuits, skirt suits. What do you call that? You know what I'm talking about? Like I know, I know the eighties exactly power suit that every woman would wear if she was going to work. Uh, yeah. she was just preparing, uh, just, just armoring up for all the sexual harassment that was going to be coming her way. Yeah. Well, she and her female <laughs> colleagues were not getting paid as much as the men. And so she, uh, broke off and, uh, created her own firm with her female colleagues and it went for 30 years. Uh, damn, that's awesome. It's pretty cool. But like, she definitely came from that era of like, okay, this was a boys club. This is how they did it. That's what I'm going to do. Right. And now I think we're past that. I don't know what wave of feminism we're in at this point. Uh, but we're in a new one where <laughs> we can do things our own way. We're definitely in a new one for sure. <laughs> Especially the post- and, that, and that's, that's, that's to credit people like your mom who like paved the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like gave more freedom. That's what, and that's what I think about when I talked about, uh, I would talk to biz- like business women who are trying to like get more women in the workplace. I'm like, you've got to make the presence of like a feminine personality and like, and like what women excel at valuable to the company. And that is there. It's fucking there, right? You just got to be able to present it in a way where it's like, this is actually going to help the bottom line too, because there's things like, especially when it comes to client relations and like empathetic practices, like men are notoriously bad at that, right? And, yeah. and it becomes very cold where it's like, no, like a, a, a warm business that is compassionate is like, that's, that's the, that's the feminine that like runs that. And that's a fucking beautiful place to be. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, if I could do a little plug for Soulfire Productions, I feel like it is a very, uh, empathetic, uh, business that like it's tapped into not just like the bottom line, but what is the soul behind it? What's the reason behind it? How are we helping the world? And so that was like one of the big reasons I was like, oh yeah, I'll join that network because it felt like real people. It didn't feel like just a factory. 
Exactly. And that's a great segue into psychedelics, actually. Yes. Because I didn't really, I didn't know what empathy was <laughs> until I started doing mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to say, speaking of em- empathy, it does. It changes your worldview. Um, what is your background with psychedelics and like, how have they helped you with your mental health and your growth? I mean, people have asked me if I could have done what I do without psychedelics. And I find it really hard to say yes. Like, I'm sure there was a way if I went to an ashram somewhere and like dedicated years of my life to sitting on a pillow, um, which is probably a more sustainable way to go about doing things. (laughs) But, you know, my upbringing, I was terrified of drugs. So both my parents uh, struggled with addiction, um, meth, mostly amphetamines, things like that. My dad actually recently got out of prison. Um, he was arrested, I think it's about seven years ago now. So he spent about six years in prison. Um, and it came out like totally reformed by the way, like really, really turned his life around. Yeah. He, he, I learned so much about one, what goes on inside of federal prisons and you know, how people try and correct their lives in there and how few people actually do that. Yeah. I was going to um, say that's, that's a rare success story because I feel like the system is not set up for people to succeed. No, no. And there's a big thing. And I'm really excited about Biden's executive orders ending private prisons because those things are run. I mean, profit, putting a profit motive behind incarceration is a is a problem. Absolutely. No, I I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, I'm happy for you that your dad was able to uh, reform himself in uh, what I'm sure were not great circumstances. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. You you were saying about the psychedelics that it helped you to build. your empathy and it helped you to do everything that you're doing now. How is yeah, that? So growing, growing up terrified of drugs. It was, a, it was, it took me a while. Right. So I didn't start smoking weed till I was 20. I didn't do mushrooms. till I was like 27. We're the same. I was so scared. I, I, <laughs> yes. I think I was just like so straight edge. I wanted to like do everything the right way. <laughs> exactly. 100%. And then my buddy, uh, one of kind of a mentor of mine, Mike Bledsoe, when I was in the fitness industry, I was like, hey, man, I've heard that mushrooms are great for your business. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, help you game plan and strategize and build a funnel. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll try them. So I did like three grams of mushrooms. And that was, it was fine. It was very mild. But I was like, okay, this is cool. I got, I had a lot of great ideas. And then about two months later, my business was closing. And it was a really challenging time in my life. Like, my whole identity was gone. I'd been a strength and conditioning coach since I was 19 years old. I was uh, about 28. And everything was folding and mm-hmm. I had made some mistakes and there was some real estate fraud on the end of the, the building I was leasing from. And it was just, it was a rough time. And I had signed up to go to this ayahuasca retreat, but, um, I was in, I was on the waiting list and someone's sister had her child about two weeks premature child was healthy. Everything was good. It was just a little early. And that two days before the retreat, I found out I was able to go. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to, you know, try and like, not uh, have sex for two days because you're supposed to have like a cel- celibacy period for about two weeks beforehand. So I go and do this. And a lot of the things that I talk about now are really products of, of that experience and the following experiences where I was able to, for the first time, really feel into my feminine, really zoom out. Like the third night was like zooming out of the history of the world. I mean, to, to kind of talk, speak to our, the beginning of our conversation, I understand like stuff that I'm talking about at that level is hard to wrap your mind around because I was able to like zoom out with Christ consciousness and like laugh at all of humanity mm-hmm. right through a different lens, like feeling the feeling infinity for the first time and, the, and not being able to really grasp it. You know, it was felt like that, that third night, it was like, I was able to reach into like a, like a, like if all the knowledge of the universe was a beach, I was able to like grab a little bit of sand. Yeah. You know, I, I understand that completely. I have not done ayahuasca. I'm not brave enough yet because I know there is vomiting involved. Uh, <laughs> and I truly don't like, maybe really. not. 
or or not. I don't know. At least from what I've heard. Um, but I've done mushrooms and uh I have had similar experiences where I feel like it helps you tap into the collective unconscious and to like zoom out, like you're saying, and to see your situation from someone else's point of view instead of being so self-centered. Yes, exactly. And there's a connectedness to it too. Um, and we we think about like ayahuasca being a vine. A lot of times the the f- the physical presentation of a, of a psychedelic plant also correlates to the way you have an experience with it. So like an ayahuasca vine ascends, it's an ascending plant. So it grows upward. Whereas a mushroom um, is the fruiting body of a mycelial network that is a connector plant. So people don't understand about mushrooms is really an actually fascinating organism where they will divert resources underneath the soil. So if you walk into a forest, you're walking on top of mushroom networks mm. and they'll divert water based on the time of the year to the trees that need it. Like it's, it's a really interesting plant. And you think about the psychedelic component of that as well. It's a connector plant. So there's a way to empathize and connect with things that you may have thought unreasonable before and, and connect to yourself in a way that is really empowering. So for me, we kind of got to the point where um, I was actually facilitating for people um, I had done a handful of five gram, um, like heroic doses, um, had done a couple of those alone. What is a heroic dose? Does that just mean you're taking a lot, like a shit ton yeah. of mushrooms and you're a hero now? <laughs> five, in between five and seven grams is kind of where I land, which okay. is enough to where, and it's funny with psychedelics too, because having done ayahuasca and, and I don't like to say how many times I've done it, but that's fine I, for about 10 years or so, or no, eight years I've, I've worked with the plants. So, um, it's really interesting once you've done enough, you kind of you kind of grease the groove to just end up on the other side of the realm of the of the veil, right? Like I've done mushroom trips that are indistinguishable from ayahuasca trips. Yeah. Have you have you met like aliens or had hallucinations of like celestial beings? I almost always have a I call them tour guides. Okay. And they always have an accent. Ooh, <laughs> except, what kind of accent? Except for uh, well, the Christ consciousness one was like, um, Alan Watts this one time I was, uh, and that was probably my own, like, that's just something I was comfortable with. Yeah. Um, uh, because that's like my favorite philosopher, but, uh, I had this one, t- the first time I did five grams of mushrooms where we grounded into a powder and that actually happens. It happens a lot faster. Like that come up on mushrooms is about an hour usually. And you kind of feel like the gut rumbling and the body high. And all that stuff, it's kind of condensed into like 15 minutes of a blast off period. Because wow. if you do it with lemon and powdered up in like a green juice, it just hits you fast. And so this woman had like um maybe like a British accent, and she was she was kind of holding down the 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 origin place for dark feminine desire. Ooh. That was one of the coolest ones. And I remember I had to pee so bad. It was like the, I was like an hour into this trip and I had to pee, but I did not want to lose this vision because I was learning so much from this woman. And she was kind of a bitch. Like she <laughs> was kind of rude, but she was like, I'm just telling you it how you need to hear it. You know, and right. it was like this. She was such, it was like a dominatrix, British, like hot, dark, like maleficent type like person. And it was really, that was a really fun one. But I've always on those adventures had really like these kind of, tour guides or I felt really lost and being very lost was part of the experience and being comfortable with not knowing. Exactly. I did something in, uh, in Peru when I was down there called Bilka, which is a ground up bean pod. And you actually snort it. This is one of the craziest stories. Uh, you snort it through a, uh, fossilized, a shaman's finger bone. So I'm actually putting the ball and socket joint of a, of a finger bone in my nose and snorting a bean pod powder in the jungle of Peru. This is wild. This is, I like, I know you told me about like your threesomes and stuff, but this is, 
this is another level. You're snorting a drug I've never heard of through a, <laughs> a human finger. Yes. It, very wild. In a very safe environment. In no, a very beautiful I'm not place. saying it's not safe. It sounds like it's like uh, being supervised by someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It was a really great, it's a really great place. But that was the craziest experience of my life where I actually did. Um, so if you do it in both nostrils and it feels like you're getting hit in the face with like a, the flat side of a shovel, it just really like by the time you walk back to your room and this is the one of the only experiences you have in your room. Usually you're in a, a like a ceremony in Maloka or something right. like that. Um, but I went and I laid down and I remember I had these two little aliens sitting on my head <laughs> and they were like working on my brain. And then another alien like walks by and it was all like in the, in the sacred geometry that reminds me of, remember, remember those 3d posters? If you like blur your eyes and look at them, things would pop out. Yeah. Magic eye. Yeah, the Magic Eye posters. It would look like that. You know what I mean? And it was like it, they were on, they were working on me. And then all of a sudden, I get like transported out. I ended up having sex with myself. <laughs> I was a I was a woman, but I was having sex with me, which was very interesting. It was a very sexual for a while. And then I ended up having a child with this Native American. I got called into a Native American ceremony, and I was playing the drums on my chest. And it wasn't this. This part was not sexual at all. It was like me and this Native American woman like spun together, uh-huh. and like there was this baby all of a sudden. And then I kept coming into ceremonies at a different time. And I watched this child grow up to a man. And I was like giving him advice as he was growing up to be a, a man. And it was, wasn't really language advice, but it was like every time I would change the tune of the drum on my chest that I had and making all these crazy noises with my mouth that I've never heard before and can't even replicate. I've tried. So you said that you went to your room though, just to backtrack a little bit. Was this mm-hmm. entire experience alone or were, did you at some point come back into a circle where they were playing drums? Or something? No, there was there was no drums. Oh. I was the only one playing drums. So we were all in our. So it was me and my girlfriend at the time. She, we were just in separate twin beds. Okay. Um. So she was having her experience. I was having mine. We were very like not even on the same planet at all. She was dying and decomposing in her experience, <laughs> but like having an orgasm while doing it, it was very weird. <laughs> and uh, as if mine wasn't weird, but I'm over here chanting um and like singing Native American songs that I've never heard before and being feeling like I'm being called into these ceremonies with these people. And, and it was just this wild, crazy experience and being able to watch this kid grow up. It was like one of the most cerebral experiences I've had on psychedelics where it was very story based and totally out of my control. And then I remember, you know, with psychedelics, sometimes at the end, you can kind of have an option to go back in or come out. Like I could get up or come out. And I was like, uh, you know, I kind of came out of it and my girlfriend at the time was still very much in it. So I was like, I'll just go back in. So I laid my head back down. And then I turned into a fucking Jaguar and I was like roaring like a Jaguar and I was on all fours. And I remember I rounded my back on all fours and I rounded my, it felt like my back was rounding like a cat's does. Yeah. Like a Halloween cat. Yes, exactly. And I was like, it was like, I had just woken up from a nap. Like I, like I had channeled into a Jaguar that was in the wood, in the jungle somewhere. And I was just walking around just like being a Jaguar. And it was so rad. But at the same time, my, uh, girlfriend at the time was having this like orgasmic death experience and everybody else was done. Everybody else was totally out of their experience. So I'm over here cackling like a Jaguar. She's over here like moaning and cr- they think that we're having like psychedelic sex inside of there, even though she and I could not be on different planet, like we'd, we'd be <laughs> further apart from each other. So we come out of the experience to everybody outside of our room, just like listening and laughing at us because there's only <laughs> screens on the doors. You can just hear like through the walls. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it's huts in the jungle. So we came out of that. It was just one of the craziest, wildest experiences, but I don't even know what I took away from that, but it was just a shift in my consciousness for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, cause you had brought up the idea of um, integration 
and like how after we have an experience like that, like how do we integrate it into our lives? I know I like to journal a lot. I yes. think that helps me to um, explore how those things are working out for me. I've even journaled sometimes while I'm in the trip or right after. Mm. Um, yeah, journaling is super helpful with on the on the other end. Integrating that experience was because we were doing uh, San Pedro cactus is called Wachuma in the Andes. Um, but it's very similar to peyote in the Native American tradition. Um, it, that wasn't as, as heavy. The ayahuasca we did down there, we only did one night and it was very mild. So the integration from that, I also spent like a week in Cusco, Peru after that, which was just, just a beautiful place. I'd recommend anybody go there if they get an opportunity to. Um, so that wasn't as big of a deal. But after certain, I've done ayahuasca down at Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica several times. And those experiences required months. And you're still having kind of eye-opening experiences from those a year later, year and a half later. They don't even make sense at the time, but you just if you can journal about them and kind of hold on to what seems relevant, there's shifts that'll happen down the road. And that's one of the coolest things about integration is that if you can do it properly and give yourself the time and space to integrate a full experience, whether it's a mild mushroom experience or an insane ayahuasca experience or a DMT trip or anything like that, if you do, you just have to give yourself some grace and some space to really reflect on it, see what see what resonates deeply because a lot of times it's just noise, right? A lot of times it's just chaos and you don't really know sure. what's going on. And just give it time. And by I mean time, I mean years. Like for me, doing ayahuasca once every two years is kind of my limit. I don't usually do it more than that. Yeah. Um, because it's information overload. It is, and you end up just like you're now you're just chasing the trip. You're just chasing the like ecstatic experience, right? Same thing with MDMA. Like we'll keep MDMA around, may do it twice a year, well, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's healthy because then you know, um, especially coming from your background, I'm sure there was a little bit of a concern of becoming addicted to one of these things, which mm -hmm. would not be so great. So like, you know, limiting it and saying, okay, I'm only going to do it every so often. I think that that's like a good way to moderate. Yeah, and it's usually when it feels right. Like it's just not chasing, not chasing the, ex the experience, but really just doing it when it feels like, all right, like I'm. I'm in a place where I can, I can shift a little bit and I'm, in, and I'm, and I'm in a healthy enough space mentally that I can handle that. Yeah. Um, cause it, it is a challenge. I mean, not that ayahuasca can't work really well with depression and different, um, uh, kind of cognitive challenges, but if you're relying on anything, any one thing to fix you, it can be, you're putting a lot of pressure on an experience. And sometimes that can be really, really hard. Um, if you come out the other side feeling worse potentially for a little while yeah. and not having a support system, not having, and this is when I, if somebody's dealing with something that's um, maybe really heavy, like some kind of severe depression and they're wanting to work with ayahuasca, I always recommend like have a good therapist on hand that understands ayahuasca. That's you what can I was going to say. Through, yeah. It's not, not just any therapist, but somebody who knows that and has done it. Yeah. Right? Because I think, like you said, putting a pressure on this drug to fix you. It's not good. Like you should be using all the tools that you have at your disposal, whether that's talking to friends or having your therapist or, you know, whatever more traditional medicines you might be taking <laughs> or other things like, yeah, you can't just hype it up so much. And you have to be kind of open minded to the idea of it maybe is not going to go the way you want it to. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things, too, like if say you have some like depression is a great, a great example because it works really well with depression and addiction. What's going to likely happen is whatever that underlying cause is that you're in denial of is going to come to the surface. Yeah, you're going to have to face it. 
And sometimes it's easier to face it in an altered state of consciousness, right? Because it'll take the form of a, a literal monster, right? So you're like actually fighting. You're like in a battle, a war with your own depression. And there's a lot of learning in that, but that's very hard. That's why I love, and, and when people ask me where to go, I love Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica because Costa Rica is a safe place. It's energetically very positive, high vibe place. The staff there is really well-trained. They know their stuff. It just You just feel safe there. And that's a big part of it. And if you're having a challenging experience, the people there are skilled enough to be able to work you through that and help you through that. And, and then having, like I said, you can get on, um, I think, maps.org, uh, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Science. They have um, a list of licensed therapists that understand and do the work with mushrooms and MDMA for depression and PTSD. So you, there you have a list of resources there of people that understand psychedelics uh, and can work with you on your integration process if you're handling something really heavy, not just normal stuff. But it's also nice to have that regardless of because you never know what could come up. Right. Sex trauma can come up like anything can come up. Yeah, no, that's that's a great resource. I didn't realize that there was actually a directory of therapists who work with um, psychedelics or understand them. So that's really helpful because um, I, I didn't even know that existed. I mean, we're, we're like two years away, maybe from MDMA and psilocybin being used in clinical settings legally. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're doing, I've heard of a lot of clinical trials with DMT, uh, and uh -huh. stuff. So we'll see. Um, I was going to ask you, cause we're getting towards the end and I would love to know, oh, no. uh, there's a segment that I do with all of my guests, uh, called hot tips, hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. <laughs> um, and I was just wondering, uh, if you have a shitty day, whether that's like you did a podcast episode that just fell flat or, you know, your, your dog is not behaving, <laughs> you've had a tough hunt. I know you're a hunter. Maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't get what you needed on your hunt. Uh, how do you make yourself feel better? Uh, to me, and we've brought this up in the podcast, the number one practice that I've put into my life that's had an impact is journaling. Mm. And that's, and I don't mean journaling like gratitude journaling or anything like that. Um, it, free flow journaling. And, and sometimes it's asking myself questions that I need honest answers to, but sometimes it's just putting a pin on the damn paper and just like I'll let all the feelings rational or irrational with zero judgment just come out of my hand. Right. And just see, it just helps to, to me, it helps to see them. Like all these thoughts are going on about how I'm a piece of shit or how I suck at hunting or <laughs> why my energy is making my dog an asshole. Like all these things that maybe not even make sense. If you want you see them, it's either either like, oh, that resonates. That makes sense. Or, oh, wow, that's complete bullshit. Right. But if you can't in your mind, you can justify anything. But on the page and the page doesn't judge you. The page isn't going to be like, wow, you're crazy. Um, but you read it back and it makes it more tangible. You can decide, like, is that a true thought for me? Do I want to yeah, keep exactly. that? No. Yes we'll see but yeah this free journaling stream of consciousness i think that's great it's very similar to um if you ever read the artist's way yes uh the morning pages that's definitely just like a free-flowing few pages that you're supposed to do every morning while you're doing that book and i think it's good it's kind of like you're tipping over your your head and you're just bank 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 letting all the <laughs> bad brain stuff come out of one ear and onto the page <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then I like to, whenever you feel like a thought is completely something you want to get rid of, mark it out. Just like scribble the, just scribble it out. Like a little kid, just scratch it out of there. Be like, this is bullshit. I don't need it anymore. And it's just very cathartic. Yeah. Almost somatic in a way. Yeah. I like that. That's almost like uh yeah, it's just, it, it makes it more tangible. It makes it more real instead of like just ha being in a conversation inside of your own head. 
you've got proof that you are deciding not to do that anymore. Exactly. 100%. Cool. Well, you know, thank you so much for coming on, Connor. This has been like a very interesting and wide ranging conversation. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. I mean, we went from, um, you know what? <laughs> we, went a, we went a lot of different directions. Yes. Yes. People should go check out your podcast, Connor Wanders, as well as uh, OK Babe, you know, if they want to know more about you and Kelly together. Um, and is there anything else, like any last words of wisdom that you have for anyone who might be struggling with depression or anxiety out there? The world is not as bad as we think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I I wade through the deepest, darkest political nonsense and all the noise. And it's so nice whenever most people I see and interact with don't know, they don't care, and they're just trying to live the best life they can. And that's where 99% of people live, I think. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed uh, everything that Connor had to share. It was a really fun and different episode. Uh, if you want to check him out, he is at Connor Wanders on Instagram, or you can go check out his different podcasts, Connor Wanders or OK Babe. Uh, and if you liked what you heard today, please leave a review and rate us and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, if you want to check out our private Facebook support group, it's facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pod. And I've been your host, Katie Dahl. All right. Until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Yep, here, here.